I don't need to tell you that when you sell for a living, some days are certainly tougher than others. And not everybody can make it as a salesperson, but it's not exactly a mystery why people struggle. Let's have ourselves a pocket-sized pep talk and hear from a man who can help you avoid some of these mistakes. A pocket-sized pep talk, the podcast that can help energize your business and your life with a quick, inspiring message. Now, here's your host, Rob Jealous. Today's guest, Scott Plum, started his sales career at age 21 selling real estate. He founded the Minnesota Sales Institute, is an author, and the host of the podcast, What Salespeople Need to Know About Selling, and co-host of the weekly podcast, Winning at Selling Podcast. Welcome to the show, Scott. Great to be with you, Rob. What an honor. And I really am grateful for the time and uh, the tremendous influence that you've had on my life and my career. I read your book back in 1999, I think. When it first came out, is that about the first year it came out? Is that right? Uh, yeah, you got it. I, now, we do have a second edition. And I will tell you, I was on Scott's podcast and he showed me that book. And yeah. the <laughs> nicest thing you can do for an author, even if you have to rough it up right before you oh. meet him, is rough up that book. Put some exactly. post-its in there. <laughs> Highlight it. Tell me what spoke to you. Tell me what you're, what you're using today. I, 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 I repeat stuff that I learned in that book, and I don't know if it's mine or it's yours, but it's, I've, I've just internalized it, which is the process of change, is when you internalize the knowledge and you start applying it without even knowing about it. So I might share some stuff, Rob, that you taught me you know, many, many years ago. Well, I, appreciate, I, I certainly appreciate that. I'll tell you something, Scott, because I, I know you're an author as well. One of the funniest things that happens to authors from time to time is people will quote things that they've yeah, said, yeah. and I'll disagree with it wow. <laughs> because <laughs> That's great. You know, 1999, it was another yeah. edition, I think, of 2009. But sometimes we, we change our mind and it's really a hoot when, when you find yourself arguing with you because yeah. people go, well, gee, Rob, you know, I read on page 231. I go, OK. What, yeah. what did I say? Yeah. And, uh, let, me see, let me see if I still agree or maybe I didn't mean it that way. But so that that's the big hoot. Let's see if I disagree with me at all yeah. in this. Yeah. Uh, no. this I, I totally, I totally know what you mean. I mean, I, I've been doing the, the Minnesota Sales Institute since 2002. When I first started, I was doing a lot of work for Chambers, doing the free talks. You know, it was marketing. It was promotion. It was awareness. It was also a great experience for me. And I'll have somebody come up to me today and they'll say, oh, I saw you at the chamber. You spoke back. And I go, when, when, what year was that? Oh, 2004. And I'm like, OK, what do I need to walk back? Because <laughs> The market changes, folks. And if we don't change with the market, we get left behind, which is so important to have a second edition of a book. Right. Yeah. So I, and I have that edition, too. I didn't tell you that during our recording of our podcast, but I have it. And one of the first things that you wrote and there was a poem. Yeah. Um, who I am or what I am. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I have it. Yeah. I actually a funny story. Then, and then we'll we'll jump into this. Yeah. I uh, the, I know the very first sentence in that second edition mm -hmm. because I had been pushed by the publisher to write another one. And, and the very first sentence is, I haven't changed my mind uh, yeah. in terms of the sales process. Now, yes, in terms of um, some of the technical support that we have, lots of things change. But I think you're going to hear some of the conversations Scott and I are about to have on really the anatomy of a conversation. Mm -hmm. It hasn't changed quite as much as people think, but, but, but we'll see. So yeah, let's get yeah. right at it. Right, um, right. 
Yeah. I know you have a bunch of, of reasons why salespeople uh, struggle, why they fail. Yeah, yeah. So let's just let, let's, let's come out of the gate with the biggest one and let's mm-hmm. land on that one. So what do you think the biggest reason why salespeople struggle or fail is? Well, I, my number one reason it's the premise of your book is that they don't have a system. They don't have a process. They, they wing it. They go, Hey man, I'm just going to go with my gut. Hey man, that's just the way I roll. And I, and I don't know if you said this, Rob, or if I read it someplace else, but there's a difference between style and process. And every salesperson has their own style and no sales leader, no sales manager should ever step on a salesperson's style because that's their ego. That's their identity. That's their esteem and self-worth. However, everybody can follow the same process. Am I repeating that right? Did I learn that from you or somewhere else? Well, even if you didn't, I was going to take credit for it. Of course. But I did did say something pretty similar. I actually refer to a style and technique. Okay. um, But but process fits in there as well. And uh, it's, you know, let's stay there for a moment because it really, there's a classic example of something that, I don't think we've changed our mind on you and me Uh, that uh, our style is that's what we that's what we bring to the table. That's that's genetics that that's Mm -hmm. we were born with that. And Mm -hmm. the cool thing about it is before people start thinking, yeah, well, but, you know, I I look at the movies, I I see some of these salespeople when I go buy a mattress or whatever. And they're this way. I'm not talking about the stereotypes. We're just talking about uh, just some of what. I, I don't know what 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 you have in your your DNA. Mm-hmm. Are you humorous? Uh, right. uh, you know, do you have a lot of bounce in the voice? For a podcast, mm-hmm. it helps, but well, for really a does. person, doesn't have to be right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so, so I, I, I like let, let's let's dig in there just a little bit deeper. So we understand that when I talk about humor or something else, th- that style. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about the process side. Give me some examples in your mind of, uh, so we know what style looks like. What does process look like to you? Well, I think if we look at process, we need to look at what are some of the most important steps in the sales process. And if we skip them, we're going to sabotage ourselves, and the results are going to be limited and even minimal, if anything. But the first step in any sales process that I've learned and I've, and I've studied many of them is you know building trust and rapport. And sometimes humor can create some comfort in a conversation. And when you have that trust and rapport and people are at ease, they're going to be willing to share information. And what is the key to sales and what is the key to negotiation is information. If we don't get information, we can't do anything. And if in reality, we misdiagnose the problem because we're not getting accurate information. And now we're creating a bigger problem for the prospects when we don't have the information. So building the trust, I think is the number one, you know, and then asking questions. But if we don't have the trust and rapport, we're not going to get honest answers because prospects are guarded. They, they don't want to share information. And I wouldn't say that they ever lie to a salesperson, but I would say that they're not faithful historians or they will mislead us and not be completely honest with us and tell us everything. Wow. The faithful historians. Yeah, that's what that, I was saying. Uh, that sounds like, yes, that sounds like alternate facts almost to me. Exactly. That is, that is beautifully said. At Xerox, we got right to it. We said buyers can be liars. Yeah, um, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, but, but let's bail out our buyers, usually because we're pushing them too fast, sure. too early. Right. And so they're backing up on us. I love that. Um, mm. I, I tell you a quick story, Scott. When yeah. at, at Xerox, we built the, the first model that I was a part of was a 16 step model. 
And we were you know, not that more is better, but I was we were mm. very proud of that. We we're going right. to show you every move in the book. And the only move we didn't show was the one you just described. Which really? Was and wow. you talk about being asleep at the wheel and, and I'm not blaming Xerox. I was on mm. that development team. Mm -hmm. We sort of just thought, well, everybody knows that. So let's get at the tough stuff. But as right. you just said, if we don't do that, we don't get the privilege of getting to the tough mm. stuff because mm -hmm. we're not getting anywhere. The client will would be a, a, a not a faithful historian. Right, right, I, right. I got to write that down. That's that's got to be a blarticle someday. That's uh, great. That's, that's so true. poetry. I, I think another thing that gets in the way with salespeople is that if they work for a big brand, they think that that brand transmits trust. And we don't know the definition of that brand. We don't know the history of the prospect and their experience with that brand. And we may need to, you know, kind of replace some of the things that we've lost in a past experience with another salesperson because they've associated themselves with a brand and a different salesperson that was not as good as us or that cared about the prospect as much as we do. Because when we really get into the process, we need to be able to know that a prospect is going to feel comfortable with change and they're going to feel comfortable with change with us, us as a salesperson. And we will never be replaced as long as we focus on, I am the leader. I am the one that's going to work with you. And, and I'll tell you another story about that during the process of change. And, and I really love the term work with versus help. Right. When I, when I help somebody, it's like, I'm up here and they're down here. When I'm up here and they're down here, who's more committed to the outcome? I am. Am I going to be more frustrated if they don't take a step when I take a step? Absolutely. And they're going to look at me and they're going to go, well, I thought you said you were going to help me. And I said, well, you know, yeah, but I'm not going to enable you to become dysfunctional and not grow. You have to be accountable to want to grow and change and have a better outcome. And you need to believe that you deserve a better outcome. If you don't believe it is a deserve a better outcome, there's no reason for you to change, period. Just accept the results that you got yesterday. Don't change and they'll be the same thing as they are tomorrow. Wow. That is the professor in you coming out. I can oh, hear it you. right now. Passion. <laughs> I'm not angry. I'm passionate. And so many people go, why are you getting so angry? I say, I am passionate. I love this stuff. And I love working with salespeople that want a better outcome. Yeah. Well, uh, I can hear your passion is through. And <laughs> if we're you. not careful, we're going to both blow people right off this podcast. So but I, I love it. Do not dial it back, Scott. Keep, right. Thank you. Keep Thank you. Hey, strong. You didn't bring it with you. You're not going to find it here is what I always say. You got to bring it with you. It's like doing my first webinar. I was like, this is really boring. And it's like, no, you're boring. You got to bring the energy to the webinar, buddy. Yeah. I tell you a fast story. My first couple of webinars, and I was never able to perfect it, but I sure tried it. I actually put a laugh box. I had a oh, laugh app yeah, hooked yeah, to yeah. a Bose speaker right behind my my microphone because I needed the energy from the audience too, not just me. Yeah, and yeah. I had to have them muted. There were too many of them. My It would have worked perfectly. I just couldn't cleanly get at the button and I was constantly missing it, right. saying something was funny, no sound, and then hitting it five seconds later and people were looking right. around like, what, what, what was that? What I miss? <laughs> got distracting my audience, but um, yeah. yeah. Uh, guys like us, you give us energy. You better get out of the way because then we go for another level of energy. Right, right, uh, right. <laughs> I'm reading you. I'm, I'm, you've read me. Now I'm reading you. I've looked yeah. at some of the notes that I've taken on you. And um, as we're talking about why salespeople struggle and why they, mm -hmm. they lack success, another piece of yours is reinforcement. Mm. 
Yeah. Um, and I think that's key. I, I'd like to hear more about that. Talk to me about that. Well, that right now, the adult learning model is incremental growth reinforced over time. And we can get reinforcement to seek uh, validation of what we know. There's things that we've learned from years ago that we've forgotten. So all of a sudden we pick up a book or we listen to a podcast and we watch a you know, webinar or something. All of a sudden it's like, hey, I knew that. Why didn't I, why did I stop using that? I got to remember to use that. That was really good. I read my book and I'm going, God, this is really great stuff. And I'm thinking, why am I not using that? It's because I'm not reinforcing what I learn and what I know. And we're constantly being distracted. And I really believe that no matter where you are in your sales career, you need a coach. You need somebody that's going to encourage you and hold you accountable and is going to be able to call BS when it's BS, because sometimes we make our own excuses. And if we're alone in a room, we're going to start justifying our excuses as truth. And unfortunately, that ain't the right truth. Now, there's a lot of things in our life that are real. Of course, everything is real, but they may no longer be true. And there's that, and that can be our beliefs. So some of our, some of our beliefs, if, if they continue without a reinforcement of, of accuracy and, and application to the tr- correct techniques for the best outcome, we're stuck because we're not applying the right behavior to get the results that we want. And a lot of it has to do is because we just lack that accountability. I, I think onboarding is so important. If we can start talk about that. When a salesperson joins a company, onboarding is so important. And here's the three steps when it comes to onboarding. Number one is set the expectations, set them in writing, make them very clear as to what the role and the obligations and the expectations are of each individual salesperson and the role they have. Number two, create accountability, hold people to the pace, the expectation, you know, the angle of attack, whatever it is. And third is create consequences and enforce consequences. So it's set expectations, create accountability and enforce consequences. And when we do not enforce consequences, the standards start to drift. The accountability starts to go down. The reinforcement is not there. And guess what happens to a sales department and a sales culture and a company's culture is we subscribe subscribe to the lowest common denominator and the standards are just terrible and we just squeak by and by that time it takes a transformation to change the culture and that's very very difficult to do rob have you experienced that i absolutely have and um you know a lot of times it's funny we you and i will probably work with the same clients in terms of Mm -hmm. a lot of times i'm talking to national sales managers and you know they're they're upset because, you know, we do this training and it doesn't seem to, to stick. And, uh, you know, and I, I feel like it's the flavor of the month and this and right, that. Right. What they don't realize is I'm, I, I've never done it, but I almost should bring a mirror and I'll t- and say, I'll show you who's responsible and hold yeah. that mirror up and say, yeah. look in it, you, right. you, yeah. uh, because you think about it, Scott, uh, particularly from the management, we're talking about accountability here. And what mm-hmm. do many managers fall into the trap of? They're falling to the trap of saying, well, I'm looking at your numbers. I'm mm-hmm. looking at last year's numbers and this year's numbers. I'm looking at what we projected. You're behind. Mm-hmm. I need I, I yeah. need, like golf. You're not hitting right. the ball far enough down the fairway. I order you to hit it further. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Good luck. And most of us are saying, you know, call me crazy. I really am swinging as hard as I can. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. my swing is a little bit off. And so I'll give you uh, something that I always respected about Xerox, which was mm-hmm. part of our accountability that you speak of 
was not only what our sales numbers were and what we were uh, and, and how we were proceeding along that path, but we had to be accountable to the process. Mm-hmm. And, and that meant I'm thrilled that you're 218% of your given plan. That mm-hmm. makes us very happy. Unfortunately, you're not following the process that we put in place. Right. And you see, folks, that's dangerous for the company as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, you know, not just the individual, but we're trying to, I don't know about you, Scott, but I, yeah. I, I almost get comfortable with the word training at this yeah. point. Yeah. We're trying to create a cultural change in the mm-hmm. way that we interact with our clients. This is not, uh, we're not really interested in your opinion. Uh, this mm-hmm. is the way we do business. And if management, yeah. I'm not blaming the salespeople here. Mm-hmm. If ma- I'm a sales guy too. If you're not going to look yeah, over my too. shoulder and see what I'm doing and you're just watching how far I hit the ball, I'll hit it nice and far for you. Don't, mm-hmm. don't follow me and watch me with my client. You might not like what you see. Right. And therein lies the problem. Um, yeah. you're, you damage the company when you do that. And mm-hmm. so you think about it, Scott, it takes a lot of guts for a company to say, we are actually going to make part of our review, our evaluation of you, mm-hmm. not just your numbers, but the process. Right. I've always believed if more companies did that, mysteriously, you would see implementation jump up a little bit oh, higher. It would be amazing. And they, and they would learn so much in the behavior and the application of the content. And they would be receptive to how the prospects are responding to the techniques and the sales team would adapt the techniques based on how the prospects respond, based on how the market changes and how people buy. And we need to be able to adapt to the marketplace and the process that people go through to make a purchase. Now they've got a lot of information. So we need to find out what's really important to them. Too often, I think sales trainers say, you know, here's what makes us different. And I'm like, you know, I don't want to assume you're going to be making a decision based on what makes me different or the same as. Tell me, when you make a change, what's most important? Let's talk about that. Now we're talking about what's most relevant to the prospect. Now we're talking about the reasons for them to make a change. And all we have to do is follow the answers that they give us listen to the, the the answers and adapt future questions to it so that we're really taking them on a process to be able to justify, uh, you know, by emotionally and justified intellectually. And yeah. it can be a lot of fun. I, I, I love that transformation of coaching a, a salesperson is almost the same process that I go to on selling a prospect. It's they, they buy for their reasons, not mine. People are going to cha- change for their reasons, not mine. And if I'm assumptive and so often salespeople are assumptive. And I think this is one of the biggest mistakes that they make is they get so focused on the solution. They think everybody has a problem and a prospect gets so turned off about a salesperson talking about their solution and how great their company is and how great they are and how great their solution is. And they don't even have an idea. The salesperson has no idea what kind of problems they have. When I meet with a company to come in and do a sales training program, I meet with the leadership and I and the CEO and I go, could you help me? I want to really understand your company. What problems do you solve? Well, we create this Palmular-based product that's using, no, 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 help me out. What problem do you solve? Well, this Palmular-based product is used. I go, okay, we're in trouble because we're so focused on the solution. The salespeople have no idea what they're hunting because they can't find a problem to solve. And they get so focused on the solution. And that's how salespeople turn their products into a commodity. And then- you're just fighting the prospects with price because yeah. we haven't created a unique value proposition for the prospect to want to buy from us and not somebody else. Right. 
Well, well said, really well said. And you and I both know, Scott, that uh, not only is that Scott's opinion, by the way, folks, um, <laughs> there's a he's speaking from fact, not opinion, mm. because statistically we've already proven year in and year out that we've got about seven, eight percent of the population out there that actually knows what they need. Mm-hmm. And about 79% of the population that doesn't need a thing has not made a decision for change, but is well aware of a problem that they're living with. Now, right. you tell me, which group do you want to speak to? <laughs> and oh, by the way, that that percentage that knows what they need, you're yeah. not the only phone call they're making. Exactly. So now you got a bunch of now you got some 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 a crowd with you. One other thing that I love that you got into, and you know, it's funny, I'm I'm pointing my finger a lot and not intentionally, but maybe because just I have the heart of a salesman and always will. Once yeah. again, I'm not blaming the salesperson here. Right. I've already blamed the manager. Sorry, oh, yeah. folks. Now yeah. I'm going to blame the training department. Right. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm blaming the training department because, well, why is it the salesperson keeps wanting to tell you about their product? It's because mm-hmm. somebody is sales training them mm-hmm. on product right. and calling it sales training. Exactly. Right? Exactly. It's product knowledge training is really what it is. Exactly. And, and they have no idea, you know, except when you go out deer hunting, how many pheasants do you bring back? Um, probably none. So that's, that, that's hunting, be a problem hunter, not a problem solver. So go out and hunt some problems, find some problems, bring the problems back and we'll work on a solution in order to fix something and guess what's going to happen is the prospects are going to find that valuable, which means they're going to write a checkout. Now we can sell on value or we can sell on price. And I, and I love the question that a salesperson asks a prospect going, when, I'm, when you make a decision like this, is it safe to assume you're going to be making it based on the best value or the cheapest price? And, and if the prospect comes back and says the cheapest price, you're in trouble, okay? And, and most likely you're not a good fit. But what are they going to say most of the time, Rob? They're going to say, we're looking for the best value. They really are. And, and I always say, well, could you help me out with a budget? What do you want to stay below? Well, we'd, we, we'd really like to stay below $15,000. I said, okay, that's fine. So if during our discussion, I find that there may be something applicable that might run over $25,000, I'm going to hold back on sharing that with you. I don't want to interject that into our conversation because I don't want you to think that I'm trying to sell you something that's beyond your budget. Well, I didn't say that. Now, if we found something that we like, we might be able to find the money. Oh, oh, you will. Oh, so we're selling on the best value and not the cheapest price. That's a different conversation. And, And that's what we need to keep in mind is, we need to be able to find the problems, talk about the impacts of the problems, translate it to a cost, the cost is, is something that the, the, the prospect experiences, they're going to compare that cost against our price. Guess what? The difference is value. Cost is high. Price is low. Difference is value. That's how the, that's how the decision is being made in, in most cases, right? I, I mean, what, have you found that? I absolutely have. And um, I've lived my whole life um, sort of battling that. Remember, if you, if you come up through the Xerox ranks, you're never the cheapest, never, ever mm-hmm. the cheapest. We already right. know that. So we had to do two things. First of all, I don't like the word cheapest. Now, mm-hmm. I, I may not like it, but my client's I, yeah, using yeah. it. So I'm not like allowed to hit them with a ruler, but I am allowed to rename it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And a lot of times what uh, uh, to get that ball rolling down the hill that you just were rolling, 
The mm-hmm. first thing I want to do is rename what they just said and get out of the cheapest world because we either have to leave or change the word. So, right. uh, you know, rather than cheapest, I like to substitute the word most cost effective. And most mm-hmm. people will go, yeah, I want the most cost effective. Well, now, Scott, they're mm-hmm. walking right to now we're going in the right direction. And we refer yeah. to that as total cost of ownership or and and really doing exactly what you described. And folks, uh, play that part back again if you need to, because uh, if price is your number one objection, and for most people, it is, uh, there's two yep. ways of handling it. There's proactively, which is be that problem finder that Scott mm-hmm. just mentioned. Uh, fun, you know, it's funny. Find a problem that a client doesn't has never really seen as that significant and allow them to tell you how significant it could be. Right. Or find a problem that they didn't even know exists and then shoot us either one of us an email and tell me how many of them then follow it up with, oh, and make sure we find the cheapest solution. So yeah, when, yeah. When you're dealing with a bunch of order takers. I don't blame them. That, that, that's right. why they want the cheapest solution. Build your value. Find something. Ask them a question they've never been asked. Find right. them a problem they've never considered. And you'll find that you won't have to. That's the proactive way of yeah. beginning to diffuse price. But the reactive way is, again, I quote, I quote you, which oh. is just putting my term to it, which is show them the value, take them through that total cost. Mm-hmm. And usually most value driven companies, when you look at all the costs are the most cost effective, mm-hmm. which ultimately I think is the way every single one of us should be making decisions. Right. And I think we need to keep in mind and re- remember that prospects define value. Too often salespeople go, well, we have a valuable product here. Well, you don't know that it's valuable to the prospect unless you find out if there's a problem that it solves. If it doesn't solve a problem, it has no value. I assure you. I live in Minnesota. There's the North Face Jacket Store on Hennepin Avenue in downtown Minneapolis that closed in January. Figure that out. It's the coldest month of the year, and we've got the best solution in town, and the store closes. Now, I imagine in July, they've got a sale. You know, because the jacket is not valuable in July. Of course, of course it's not. But I I think salespeople, you know, they hear budget and they just start to have a meltdown in their mind and they start having inner panic attack. Okay, let's talk about the word budget. What is the term budget? What does the word budget mean? A budget is a predetermined number before a decision needs to be made, period. That's what a budget is. So it's some somebody in November that ended up putting something on a spreadsheet and submitting it to leadership and said, here's the plan for the rest of the year. If something happens in the mid-year where we need to make a change, we need to make an adjustment, guess what? We're going to have to find the money. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to survive, period. That's the decision that some companies have to make. And when the value is high enough and the solution fixes something, Again, like Rob said, people don't fix small problems. They fix big problems. And I remember that from your book. And I've always thought about that every time I talk with a prospect. Always try to build up the value and the cost, consequences, and risk of the value to the impact that the prospect is taking. The bigger the company, the more they're willing to spend to make sure that they don't look like a fool. The people that are in charge of the department, you know, their ego is at stake. You get the smaller companies. Now you get the business owners that don't want to lose money. So there's different motivations on why people buy too. Yeah. 
beautifully, you know, I, I, that is one of my favorite quotes, by the way. So, yeah, yeah, I love uh, it. I mean, it's the backbone of selling. Let's let's admit mm-hmm. it. Um, and and my challenge sometimes when I'm training an organization is to remember, don't say it more than you know five times. Right. <laughs> I, you know, don't oversell. I almost want to make a poster of it. Just point at it. But there, here we are again. Right. Uh, you know. Uh, there's one other piece in it, and you're 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 nibbling at it, which is, and I, I and I'm fascinated because I I like your use of the word problem finder, and mm. I keep I, it, it's it's not exactly haunting me, but I keep coming back to it, mm-hmm. and it reminds me of you know my first job. You were in real estate. My first job was insurance. You know, it was either real estate and insurance for me too. I, we were the I same just, age. I went too, through right? the other door. <laughs> we were 21, right? You yeah, and I, yep, yep, I, I yep. listened to one of your podcasts. You said you were 21 and you're selling life insurance. I go, I was selling real estate at 21. Yep, yep, I yep. mean, I went through the same challenges that, that you did. I mean, right. it's, it's great. Go ahead. Right. No. And, and I, for both of us, we were sitting in a room and they were teaching us all about product and said, now you're ready to sell. So out we, <laughs> out we went. But, but you know what I learned from the insurance industry in particular, and it's funny because I was positive. I'm not learning anything. I'm like, what am I right. learning here? I yeah. learned a ton. And yeah. one of the greatest lessons that I learned that speaks to this problem finder concept of yours mm-hmm. is that is realizing that no one was really looking for life insurance because they, when they felt well, right. um, you know, oh, you know, the, oh, there's diabetes in the family. Oh, you're, you know, you're pushing 60, 70, whatever, but you feel good. Um, you think of that almost as a metaphor of the way many clients are reacting. The reason why we have to find the problem and people don't necessarily hand it to us walking in. The reason why people might be stubborn, a client might be stubborn to not fix a problem is because to them, it hasn't, it's not a big problem and I, nothing's gone wrong. And what I've learned, and the phrase that I remember from the insurance for me was that when I, is that selling's not what is, it's what if. See, yeah, um, oh, you know, line. yeah, what is I got two calls in two years and change for people looking for life insurance, yeah. and you know, uh, and then second guy who called me, I, I, I actually said to him, you know, what did the doctor tell you today? Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, <know>? <laughs> uh, but but and, and it's funny, I, I guessed right. Well, I he said, uh, but when we think of that, and we and, and you really just nest with that for a moment. You realize mm-hmm. that our job and the reason why guys like Scott and Rob get animated, get excited mm-hmm. is because we take our job seriously. What 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 really makes me feel good? I, I like taking an order just like everyone else. But mm-hmm. what makes me feel good is meeting with somebody and and getting them to look down the road. We don't have to wait to get punched in the nose to to put mm-hmm. up our hands when we're fighting. Um, mm-hmm. And to help somebody through that fear of change to a scenario where it hasn't blown up yet, but it's going to. Right. That's why we're here. That's why a yeah. salesperson exists. And I just wish that our sales trainers out there mm-hmm. would focus on that more. Companies would accept the fact that when you're looking at Scott or Rob or whoever you're looking for, you make sure that there's a conversation right here because that's where the action is. That's where we provide value. Yeah. Your thoughts. Yeah. 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 Well, when you talk about sales training, I think that that's so important. And, and that really is a commitment from the top down. It's from leadership down into management, down into supervisors, down into the salespeople on the front lines. And when you get into a training department and you get into now, they call them the sales enablement departments. And, and I, and I love that term and I love the concept and the philosophy because they're working 
working on more of a holistic approach to sales enablement, which is getting through a lot of the head trash. So we've got conceptual barriers and, and things that we believe to be true and they're not true. And then we've got techniques that are outdated. If I could show you a way, would you buy today? You know, that just doesn't work anymore. Uh, we don't commit to behavior. So we're not managing, you know, what's the difference between a to-do list and a goal list? We have no idea. And then we get into an attitude uh, quadrant where, you know, are we looking at possibilities or limitations? Uh, a few summers ago, I'm riding around on Lake Minnetonka. It's a beautiful lake in Minnesota. And there's about a 14 of us on, on the boat. And we're kind of going along the shore looking at these big, huge, beautiful houses. And I'm standing next to a young lady that I've known for many years. And she says out loud, I can't imagine what it's like to live in a house like that. I turned and looked at her and I said, don't worry, it'll never happen. <laughs> and she got upset as, as I was hoping she would. It yeah. was my intent to upset her, not, not to make her angry or but for her to think about it. And I go, I, I, I don't think it'll ever happen. Because why don't you think that I can? I think I think you have all the talent, skill, the ability in the world to live in that house right there. That one. However, you're telling yourself, I can't imagine what, I, what it's like to live in a house like that versus I wonder what it would be like to live in a house like that. That is a completely different question. And we talk to ourselves in a way that does not support the behavior that we want to apply. And that's why affirmations are so important. And, and when we look at everything that goes into the sales enablement, it, it's a holistic approach, but leadership ha has got to be able to support and invest in training and development. And there's a difference between training and trying. And, and so often sales managers are working with or helping or trying to get their sales team to do better results instead of figuring out what is really holding them back. And in most cases, it's, it's a conceptual issue. It's, it's head trash. I mean, Tiger Woods has four swing coaches. Um, I got to think one of them's for his head, you know, to make sure that his head is still in the game. And, and we need to be able to be conscious of what, what we think and how we talk to ourselves. Um, you know, and that's a great topic to finish with. And I, and I want to stay here for a moment. First yeah. of all, I did read something about Tiger Woods some years ago, which impressed me, which is he had, I don't know if you ever heard of it, the four step rule oh. uh, to do just this. So when he hit a bad shot, people would complain. They go look at him. He'd be banged his club. He would, he would curse things like that. Yep. Well, it happens. I, I play a little golf. Uh, but what I really was impressed with, it was this four-step rule. And it went like this. You can throw your, I don't know about, I don't throw clubs, but you can mm. go ahead and, and, and get upset at yourself, whatever. He And do it for as long as you need to. But when he right. took four steps away from that shot, that's it. It's yeah. done. It's behind exactly. him. He's now planning his next shot. And, the, you know, be, and remember, it wasn't his head that, end, that, that has created issues with his career. Mm -hmm. It was his body. Right. Uh, he, he mentally was very powerful. So he was working with that and he found the process. What I like that you brought up. And the reason why I thought this is a nice landing spot mm -hmm. is that to, you know, we, I, we pointed at me in particular, I've been pointing the finger at, a, at the <laughs> trainer. I've been pointing the finger at the manager. Now we can point the finger at us a little bit yeah. because how we talk to ourselves. I, I agree with you really does matter. Uh, mm -hmm. We think it doesn't, but it does. And, yeah. uh, and I, and I think it's like a, uh, and I'd, I'd be interested in your input on this for me, at least, I think it disguises itself as almost humor. 
in terms of mm. we just chide ourselves. We don't mean anything by it. But if right. I was half as intelligent as that rock over there, I probably would have done such and such. If I would, it, I think that that matters. I I've decided none, no more of that nonsense for me. I'm very much aware of the jokes I tell myself about, you know, how ridiculous or foolish I just was. And I've decided that can't help me be more effective. Right. Am I being a little bit compulsive or what do you think? Well, I think sarcasm can be very destructive. And I think sarcasm is used in a way to test for confirmation and for test for somebody to disagree with our sarcastic comment and to call us out on it. Um, and sarcasm with ourself does not really improve our self-esteem and you know how we how we view ourselves in the role that we play because we can never outperform a negative self-image if we feel like we're a three we're going to go out into the world and act like a three and we decide what our identity is and what our self-worth is and the level of our self-esteem we determine that as human beings before we go out and become human doings and we will never outperform a negative self-image of the human being. So we really need to be able to be confident but not arrogant. We need to be receptive to what's going on. And we need to wonder. I mean, and that's, this is one of the chapters in my book, you know, is, you know, no wonder, no change. I mean, if you don't go into a situation, go, I wonder how we could do this differently. I wonder if I had a chance to do that over, what would I do different? And to really contemplate that. Now we're reliving it and, and not regretting it. We're, we're debriefing it and we're going through, if I had a chance to do that over, what would I do different? And that, that begins with wonder instead of beating ourselves up with, with it. Because between phone calls, nobody knows how the last phone call went unless you tell them. And you tell them in your tone and your voice and your, you know, your, your attitude and you, you're, you're communicating it. They have no idea who you call before you talk to them. So yeah. we need to be able to carry that forward um, in, in being positive in our own mind first before we can ever implement it into our behavior. I love that. And, you know, if, if, if folks, if you need um, help on that one, the easiest way to do what you just heard, in my opinion, is think about how you give another human being feedback. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. If we're on our game, we're fairly balanced. We're somewhat compassionate. We use word like words. I love those words. Like if I if you could do it again, what would you do differently? Not yeah. what did you screw up in there? Right. Okay. No. No. Uh, so we tend to, to, to be very measured. And then when we turn it on us, it's just brutal. We are, yeah. uh, we take that filter off. We don't even go in there with any positives. And mm -hmm. I, I, I really want to focus on positives so I can remember to do them again. Uh, right. So there's, so there's actually reasons why you want to be positive other than it sure is a nice thing to do for yourself. It actually will make you more effective, but I really like that. And, and words matter. Uh, you, let, let's, let's bring it home. First of all, yeah. you talked about a book. I want to hear about your book and I want to hear how people can get a hold of you, Scott. Yeah. Thanks, Rob. The easiest thing to go to my website, mnsales.com. My company's the Minnesota Sales Institute. There's the tab there for the book. You can order the printed copy there. You can go online at Amazon and you can order the Kindle copy there. Uh, the book is taking off into the wind. It is an inspirational book. It's uh, working with salespeople on adversity. And very much like, like Rob's books, it's, it's focused on the process and, and the motivation and the inspiration and not necessarily the company and the solution and the product. It's really working more on our mindset. And I've had people, I, I've 
gave it to a 17 year old that read it on the plane down to, to Florida for his spring break. And he loved it. I mean, 17 years old and he's reading my book and he loves it. I mean, it's like, you're not even in sales and you got a lot out of it. So that was just the greatest testimonial that, that I could ever have is somebody's not in sales, likes the book. So thanks Rob. Yeah, no. Um, and I, and I'll go a step further. Uh, when you get Scott's book, one of the kindest things you can do for another author truly is write a review. Um, mm -hmm. You don't think it matters. It really does matter. And so uh, read the book, uh, write a review, uh, and then uh, go get yourself an ice cream cone. You deserve it. But that's right. a nice Absolutely. thing to do for another human being. These books don't write themselves. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If they're usually like our children. Uh, you know, we, we put a lot of time and effort and then off they go into the world and we just wish them well. And so uh, <laughs> as a fellow author, I can tell you that uh, – uh, write that review. And Scott, I haven't gotten a copy of that book yet, but do not send me one. Um, I, and uh, because I'm going to go buy myself a copy of that book so I can put a verified review up there. Oh, for you. thank you. Uh, thank you. I appreciate uh, that. Rob. And, and give me that title one more time. It's taking off into the wind. Okay. And if you think about how planes take off, they take off into the wind. And then the, the subtitle is creating lift out of life. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, well, uh, I'm going to read it and I'm going to write a review for it. And thank I you. am grateful to, for the time that you spent with me today. I'm going to tell you truly play back my podcast. If you don't believe me, I'm putting you in the top 5%. Uh, I wow. just, uh, in terms of, well, yes, let me get it all out. Okay. <laughs> How amazing you are. No. Uh, yes. I love your energy. I you. really do. Uh, as an energy guy, I like bumping into another energy guy. I Me really too. liked what you said. I like the way you said it. And that's what we're trying to model for everybody who's listening. When we talk about how, you know, the, the pitch and the pace, et cetera, listen to the words in the tune of this podcast. And I think uh, you just heard a guest walk the walk. So mm, uh, I'm you. grateful for that as well. And I'm grateful for all of you listening. And uh, please come back. I'll do it again even better next time if I can. Oh, that's going to be tough. And stay safe, everybody. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please rate and recommend it on iTunes, Outcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more information on this show and Rob at Jollis.com.